Your uh, two boys are playing catch in the family room. Normally, you don't allow this hay outside with the ball, but that's not an option on this day because it's rainy outside. And besides, your kids are a bundle of energy. They can't sit still. They need something to do. And hey, this ball they're playing catch with, it's a Nerf ball. What harm can be done? So you decide to let them have a little fun. Well, your two boys are very competitive. They don't do anything halfway. So as they're tossing the ball back and forth, this activity becomes more and more spirited. I mean, every time they throw the ball, they throw it a little faster and a little harder. Hey, see if you can catch this. Until last, the older boy throws the ball so fast, so hard, there's no way the younger one can catch it. And it goes soaring out of the family room and into the kitchen and hits that bottle of cooking oil that was sitting on the counter. All of a sudden, you hear this loud crash. Broken glass goes flying everywhere. Now there's oil just running all over the kitchen floor. And guess who gets to clean up the mess? You do. Hey, can't have the kids stepping on the broken glass. Well, you're mad. I mean, kind of mad at the boys, but most of all, you're just mad at yourself. I'm the one that said they could do this. What was I thinking? So as you get down on your hands and knees to try to clean things up, you're angry, you're frustrated. Oh, what a day. And I brought this all on myself. But in the process of cleaning things up, you notice how the oil is now run underneath the refrigerator. So you're going to have to move the fridge in order to get to the rest of the mess. But as you do so, you make this remarkable discovery. The diamond earring that you lost three months ago. There it is. I mean, you thought it was gone forever, never find it again. There it is, hiding right behind the fridge. And all of a sudden, everything changes. I mean, what you think, how you feel, you're not mad anymore, now you feel delighted. I mean, it's instantly, your frame of mind has just totally changed because a bad day has suddenly become a very good day. What started out to be all this trouble, having to wipe up all the oil and sweep up all the broken glass, has led to this amazing discovery. I found the diamond earring. And now that you can see the big picture, now you can see what all this trouble and misery this day has actually led to, it is your impression of the whole day has just totally changed. Now, that's the picture that's behind one of the words that Jesus is going to use in this parable. This story he's going to tell us today. We're going to look at the middle part of Luke chapter 12. And one of the key Greek words in the story, is a, it's a Greek word, euphreno. And it's a word usually translated to rejoice. And the reason why you rejoice is because now at last I see the big picture. I see how everything's going to begin to fit together in a good and worthwhile way. And I've got a reason to rejoice. In fact, this word euphreno, when you break it down, it's kind of an intriguing word. Euphreno, the middle part, frain, literally means diaphragm. And so when you say euphreno, it means literally to expand the diaphragm. In other words, now because something wonderful has just happened, I, I feel like I can breathe again because you just found something wonderful or you just learned something or received something that's just really wonderful. Now you, can, you feel like you... You can breathe this big sigh of relief. Now, because of this, I don't have to worry anymore. Now, because of what just happened, I don't have to be mad or frustrated or upset anymore. I can breathe. Now that I see the big picture, now what I see, it's all leading to. Now I realize everything's going to be okay. Now, think about this. If we could just see that with everything we do, if we could just see how this incident or this moment actually fits into the bigger picture, would not that change our attitude about everything? You know, here you are stuck at a red light, and it feels like you've been sitting here forever, and it's so exasperating because you've got places to go and things to do, and the most aggravating thing of all is right now there's no traffic on the road. Why do I have to sit here and wait? This makes no sense. But what if in that moment you could see the bigger picture? What if you knew that it's God who is holding you up at that traffic light because further on down the road there's an accident that's about to occur, and he didn't want you to be a part of it? If you knew that at that moment, here you are stuck at this red light. If you knew the bigger picture, would you not be a lot more patient, a lot more happy? 
Or say you get a phone call in the middle of the night and it wakes you up from a really good sleep. And then you learn it's not an emergency. Phone call wasn't all that important. They really could have waited till the next day to talk to you about this. So when you finally finish the call, you're not a happy camper. Why did they have to call me now? Obviously, they weren't thinking about me and my need for sleep. They were only thinking about themselves. How inconsiderate, how selfish can you be? And now you're wide awake, all these angry thoughts just racing through your mind. There's no way you're going to get to sleep again. But now that you're awake, you smell something. Smoke. Smells like it's coming from the basement. Sure enough, you go down and check it out. A catastrophe was about to happen, but you caught it in the nick of time. I mean, a major disaster that could have ended up burning down the whole house, but you caught it in the nick of time, immediately resolved things, and suddenly... Everything changes. What you think, how you feel. I mean, now you're not grumbling about that loss of sleep no more. That aggravating phone call, now you realize that phone call was a blessing, not a curse. Now, if only we could see that in all the experiences of life, how this mishap or this accident or this inconvenience or this irritation or this trial is really not that big of a deal when you realize it's part of a much bigger plan that God has in mind first. If we could just see that bigger picture, wouldn't it change our attitude about everything? Well, that's what Jesus is hoping to do with this parable that he teaches. I want you to see the big picture of why it's so important for you to be generous with your resources, not stingy. Now, there's one other word I want you to be aware of as we try to work our way through this scripture. Another key Greek word in this story that Jesus is going to tell you is the word offerino, offron. Offerino. Here it's going to be translated fool. It's the word that God uses when he speaks to the rich farmer. And he calls this man a fool because he's missed the point. He's so stuck in the trees he can't see the forest. He's not grasping the big picture. God calls him Offerino. Fool, you've been so foolish. Offerino is the very opposite of Euphrano. Euphrano, hey, you can expand the diaphragm. Now at last you see the big picture. You see how everything's fit together. I become aware of the path that I'm supposed to be on and I'm a happy man. I can rejoice. But Offerino literally means no movement of the diaphragm. The diaphragm's tight. You have this suffocating feeling. All of a sudden, you see the big picture, and you become alarmed because you realize, I've been missing the point. I've been chasing after all the wrong stuff, and now that my life is about to come to an end, I am not prepared for what is about to happen next. Here's the picture. Late 1800s, two men were working up in the northern part of Canada, uh, just east of Alaska, they're along the Klondike River. They were mining for gold, and one day they struck it rich. I mean, they dug into this huge deposit of gold. Well, the two guys became so excited about this discovery, they didn't keep the big picture in mind. I mean, Canada, northern part of Canada, you've got to make provisions for winter. Winter up there comes quick. It comes early. When it hits, it hits hard. But these two miners, the only thing they had in their mind was that gold. What they could see right there in front of them. And we got the chance to get some more, so let's go after it. And they just kept digging and digging and digging. Two weeks later, a blizzard hits, and the two men freeze to death. Just before they die, one of the men wrote a note, a note talking about how foolish they had been. And a couple months later, when the search party came along, they found the note and the bodies of those two men lying on this huge pile of gold. But what good is the gold going to do them now? Well, that's exactly what Jesus is going to be talking about in this parable. Don't be foolish. Ah, Freno. Death staring you in the face. You realize your life is about to come in. You look back over your life and you begin to realize, I've missed the point. I didn't keep the big picture in mind. I've been chasing after the wrong things. I am not prepared for what happens next. Jesus says, please don't let that happen to you. So let's take a look at this story. And, and I want you to notice what prompts Jesus to tell the story. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Here's the context. There's a family feud going on. And, and you, you're all aware of this. You've seen this happen in different circles of influence. 
That can be a nasty thing. Two brothers are having an argument. Obviously, the father's died. It seems to, there was no written will. So how do you settle the estate? How do you determine who gets what in the inheritance? Well, the younger brother, who's going to come and talk to Jesus about this, he feels like his older brother's not giving him a fair shake. So he's come to Jesus and say, hey, can you help me make things right? But I want you to notice how this young man makes that request. Verse 13, someone in the crowd approached Jesus and said to him, Teacher, tell my brother. <laughs> Get that? Not ask him. Tell him. He's commanding. He's ordering him around. Hey, I've already got this figured out. I'm right. He's wrong. Lord, help me to get what I want. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Back in the first century, when the father died, it was the oldest son, the firstborn, who was responsible to manage the estate. And obviously, in this situation, the older brother feels like, hey, we need to keep all the family assets together. Let's keep the family business going. But the younger brother doesn't feel like that. Hey, you're the oldest one. You decide what portion you get, but you also help me decide what portion I get so I can sell the land and get my hands on that cash because I don't want to be a part of the family business anymore. I want to branch out on my own. I want to try something new. Well, the young man is upset because the older brother's not cooperating. I don't want to split things up. I want to keep it all together. And this younger brother feels like his older brother's getting in the way and keeping him from getting what he wants. So you notice the attitude with which he comes, how he's approaching Jesus. There's no humility here. I mean, he didn't say, Jesus, you know, my brother and I have been quarreling, and I, and I know that's not good. I mean, right now there's this rift between us. We're not seeing eye to eye. And I feel awful about this because if we're not careful, this fight that we're having, it could lead to a permanent break in our relationship. And that would not be good at all. Jesus, would you help us out? Would you take time to listen to me? And then please take time to listen to my brother, my older brother, hear his side of things. And Lord, help us to find a way to reconcile. I beg you, Lord, bring us together. So in the dividing this inheritance, it doesn't cause a division in us as brothers. But that's not what he's saying. He's not making a request. He's making a demand. He's insisting, hey, Jesus, I already got this all figured out. I know the way it's supposed to go. I'm right. He's wrong. Help me to get what I want. He's greedy. And all right now, all he can see are the trees, the things, the stuff that he wants to get his hands on. And he's not thinking about the forest, this relationship with his brother, and how his greed is about to ruin that relationship. So watch how Jesus responds. Verse 14. Jesus replied, man. Who appointed me? Meaning, this is not what I was called to do. This is not why God sent me to this world. This is not the mission that he has in mind for me. Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? See how smart Jesus is? Jesus is showing us you don't have to say yes to every request. Sometimes the best way to respond is say, no, I'm sorry. I can't get involved in that. I have something else I need to be focused upon. You remember how Moses got himself into all kinds of trouble? Uh, you know, as a church, we're doing this read through the Bible in a year program, and it was just a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember this? We were reading Exodus chapter 2, and one day Moses steps out and he finds two Hebrew men arguing, fighting, having this dispute. And of course, Moses realized, that, hey, that's not good. I mean, Moses, he's got this big heart. He really wants to help. He wants to be there for his people. So he tries to step in and settle the dispute. And yet, making everything better, he makes everything worse. Now, the two Hebrew men are not only mad at each other, they end up being mad at him. And Moses gets himself into all kinds of trouble. He shouldn't have been a part of that to begin with. Same thing happened to Martin Luther way back in the 1500s, one of the leaders of the Reformation. There was a family feud going on in his hometown, the place that he grew up, a town called Eisleben. And the feud was over the very thing that we're reading about here, how to divide the inheritance. Well, he knew the people involved, and everybody knew him. And, hey, Martin Luther, everybody looks up to you. You're a good man, a godly man. Would you help us out? And so he agreed to be a, a mediator. But as he steps in, the stress, the stress of trying to get everybody on both sides to see eye to eye, the stress became so much, he had a heart attack and died. Jesus is showing us by his example 
that sometimes in order to be a good steward of our time and our talent and our treasure, sometimes we need to say, no, I'm sorry. I can't get entangled with this because the time and energy that's required to make things right over here will keep me from living the life that God has appointed for me. I need to stay focused on the mission that the Lord has given to me. And we've got to learn to do that not only as individuals, but also as a church. Remember what Hebrews chapter 12 says? Keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. And you remember how the writer of Hebrews says to do this? It's like running a race. And if you're going to run well, if you're going to run in a way where you can win the race, you've got to learn to lay things aside. And you remember when he's talking about that? He's not just talking about laying aside the bad stuff. Yeah, you've got to do that. But he also says sometimes you've got to lay aside good things, good things that if you get entangled in that, it keeps you from focusing on what is best. Now, all of that becomes a setting that now prompts Jesus, hey, to make this clear for everybody, I need to tell a story. Listen, if you want to make good investments with your time, talent, and treasure, if you really want to be strategic, effective in your stewardship, you've got to keep the big picture in mind. So listen to his story, verse 15. Then Jesus said to them, isn't that interesting? Here's Jesus and this young man. They've been having this one-on-one conversation. I would have assumed verse 15 would have said, and then Jesus said to him, but obviously, the young man's disappointed, upset with Jesus. Hey, you're not going to take my side in things. I mean, he, uh, he wasn't here to follow the Lord. He wanted the Lord to follow him. And when it becomes obvious that the Lord's not going to cooperate, off he goes. But all the disciples have been listening in this conversation, and Jesus recognizes he's got an opportunity here to teach a lesson. So he turns to them, and he says, watch out. Don't allow yourself to become like that young man, greedy. Man, that's going to get you into all kinds of trouble. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. There's more to it. There's more to it than just the things and the stuff. Life is about people, relationships, enjoying a healthy relationship with God and enjoying a healthy relationship with others. So Jesus says, let me paint you a picture. Let me show you what I'm talking about. So verse 16, he begins to tell a story and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man. Now get that. It's the ground that produces the crop, not the man. It's the ground. It's what God supplies. It's what God provides. It's a gift from the Lord, but this man doesn't recognize this. It's the ground of the certain rich man that yielded this abundant harvest, but he's acting like it all came about because of me, my effort, my labor. So this rich man, verse 17, thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. All the way through the story, you see these personal pronouns, I, me, my, He doesn't think at all about his employees, all the men and women who are working with him. He doesn't think about his neighbors. He doesn't think about his family and friends. It's my crops, my barns, my good things, my life, my future. It's all about me. So verse 18, this rich man said, this is what I'll do. I'll I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll store my surplus, my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, hey, look at all that you've achieved. Pat yourself on the back. Look at what you have accomplished. Why, you've got so much grain, plenty of grain laid up. For years and years to come, you're just going to have a great life. So relax, take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. There's that Greek word, euphrano, be merry. But here's the irony. This man's thinking, I got all this grain and all these barns, so at last, I can expand the diaphragm. I can relax. I, I feel secure. But the irony is this on this very night when he thinks at last I got everything in place so I can enjoy this wonderful future. This is the very night that he's going to learn that he's about to die. And he won't, Afreno, he won't be breathing anymore. The diaphragm's tight. He suffocates. He can't breathe. Why? God explains why. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, Afreno. 
Only thinking about yourself, not thinking about the Lord. Only thinking about yourself, not thinking about other people. Only thinking about this life, this world. Not thinking a thing about the next. You fool! By this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who's going to get what you prepared? Just like those two bodies lying on that huge pot of gold. All this this grain, what good is it going to do you now? So Jesus says this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things only for themselves. And they are not rich towards God. 1888, Alfred Nobel got the shock of his life. You've heard this story. It's a true story. It, it really parallels the story that we find here. It's a real-life example of what the Lord is talking about here in Luke chapter 12. 1888, Alfred Nobel wakes up, gets the morning newspaper, and reads his obituary. <laughs> I'm dead? You know, man, what? Yeah, I mean, talk about being stunned. See, the editor of the newspaper got mixed up. It was actually Alfred's brother that had died over there in France, but the editor of the paper thought it was Alfred, not his sibling. Alfred Nobel was this Swedish chemist who had made himself rich inventing dynamite, and then he made oodles and oodles of cash selling that product to others. Well, he's stunned as he's reading this obituary, and he's thinking to himself, what if I had just died? Am I really ready for what comes next? But here's what bothered him the most. If I just died, how would people evaluate me? How exactly would you sum up the life of Alfred Nobel? Well, that's what bothered him. As he began to read through the obituary, the editor of the newspaper put it like this. The headlines read, the merchant of death is now dead. Merchant of death? That's how you would describe me? So he began to read in the obituary and said, Alfred Nobel is the man who made himself rich, inventing dynamite and selling to others to help people kill one another. And Alfred Nobel thought, I don't want to be remembered for that. That's what my life has amounted to? So, because of the stunning surprise, he decided to make a change. He only lived for eight more years, but over the next eight years, he gave away more than $9 million to establish a legacy where awards would now be given to people who invented things or created things or did things to help make life better for others. And even to this day, we still have those awards, the Nobel Prize. See, Alfred Nobel got this rare opportunity, unlike the farmer in this parable, this rare opportunity to step back and see the big picture so he could really begin to reevaluate. What is my life really all about? Have I invested my life in something that's going to last? Am I doing something that's actually going to make a difference for others? And that's exactly why Jesus tells this parable. Hey, wake up. It's time to step back and see the big picture. Am I living the right kind of life? Am I living the life that God wants me to live? Did you know that the average American spends six hours every week, at least six hours every week shopping, but only 40 minutes playing with their kids and grandkids? Six hours shopping, but only 40 minutes playing with the kids. Are we missing the big picture? UCLA, they did a study of small homes, not even bigger than 1,000 square feet, that and smaller. You know, two bedrooms, a bath, a living room, that's a very modest dwelling. Studied thousands of these homes. And on an average, here's what they found in every one of those homes, at least 39 pairs of shoes, 90 DVDs and videos, 139 toys, 212 CDs, 438 books and magazines. In fact, in nine out of every 10 homes, there was so much extra stuff that people had to start storing it in their garage, and now their garage was so full they couldn't park the car there anymore. Just like the farmer in the parable, even in the smallest of homes, so much surplus, all this extra stuff, and they're just sitting there, not using it for themselves, not sharing it with anybody else. Are we missing the big picture? Over in Great Britain, they learn, on average, a woman will purchase at least 59 items of new clothing each year. And today, she has twice as many clothes in that closet as she did 10 years ago. And right now, there's at least 22 items of clothing hanging in that closet that she hasn't even worn yet. 
Is that really why God put us here? Just to accumulate more and more stuff? I don't think so. Jim McGuigan is an Irish preacher, and he tells about this young lady he knew, uh, Mary. It's a really sad story. When she was just a child, both of her parents died. But being the oldest child, she had to take care of all the brothers and sisters, and there was a bunch of them. So this young lady had to grow up real quick. Well, over the years, she worked too hard, slept too little, just worried endlessly about the best way to care for all these siblings. Well, all that labor and hard work took its toll because Mary ended up dying at the age of 25. Just before she died, and Jim McGuigan knows this because he was talking to the little brother. He was there that day. He said just before she died, she was laying in bed one morning, agitated, weepy, and the little boy, he could tell something was wrong with his older sister. And Mary's, what's wrong? He says, well, I know I'm not going to live much longer. I'm about to meet Jesus, and I'm worried about that meeting. And the little boy said, Mary, worried? You? Been a Christian all these years, all the good things you've done. Why are you worried? He says, because I feel like I don't have anything big or wonderful to offer the Lord. What is he going to think of me? That's when the little boy reached over and got a hold of Mary's hand. And he said, Mary, just show him this. Just show Jesus your hands. Jim McGuigan says, I saw those hands, marred and scarred, old and wrinkled before the time. Such old hands on such a young lady. Hands that should have been outside making daisy chains, but most of the time they're inside washing the clothes. Hands that should have been outside pushing the swing in the playground, but most of the time she was inside scrubbing the floors and cooking meals. Old hands, ugly hands. But it was those hands that helped all her brothers and sisters see and experience the love of Jesus. See, in that short life of just 25 years, Mary developed a treasure, not just for herself, but for all her siblings, too. In that short life of 25 years, she made herself and all her brothers and sisters rich towards God. That's what life is all about, becoming rich in our relationship with the Lord.